Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I am your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. Uh, it is, it's been a while since we've seen the people, EJ. We took a week off after the NFL draft to kind of recharge, sleep for once, uh, you know, plan our, uh, our off-season content. And uh, I'm excited to get into all of our post-draft content, you know, looking at each individual class, honestly looking at every single move that every single team made uh, throughout the entire offseason. Remember, we still have that division-by-division recap coming where we look at every single move that every single team made. But before we get into all that, we do want to start off with our special UDFA episode, which I can't remember if we got to do it last year or not. Uh, we did. We, we squeezed it in. I made you we do squeezed it. it I, in. I put the thumb screws on you and said, Da-da-da-da. I've always loved UDFAs. We're doing it. And you're like, eh. I was like, nope. And now it's the second annual. So there you go. Yeah. So we're, we're looking at all the UDFAs and it's it, buckle up. It's going to be a long show, but we're going to be talking about a lot of players that we mentioned before throughout the pre-draft process that ended up not getting drafted. We're going to break down all the values that all these teams got because there's some really, really good players that didn't go drafted. But before we get into all that, EJ, my friend, how are you doing? And what are you drinking tonight? I'm I'm loving it. The break was really good. It feels like it's been a month since the draft, and it's been like eh, not quite two weeks. <laughs> it's like yeah, 10-ish, 10-ish days, 11-ish days. Um, but just not doing all the things that we had sort of worked ourselves into a frenzy doing before the draft and, and in the lead up. And uh, there's just both, both of us said to each other, man, we got to start earlier next year. <laughs> and and we, we say that every year because it just, it gets compressed near the end. So I'm, I'm feeling good. Like you said, a little sleep, a little, uh, I don't know about you, but did you have like a hangover? I had like a hangover of oh when I, God. when I got still, like when I sat still, I was like, I have to go watch film. <laughs> and I was like, it was like it was like no, a lingering anxiety it was yes. all anxiety where it's like i have something to do and for yes. a whole week I, I thought i had something that i just didn't I, I was trying to relax and so like i started earlier and i promised i wasn't gonna wasn't like gonna do this but i ended up doing it anyway but i started on my june film room on yeah. justin fields and ryan day was i was like oh, i'm gonna give myself some time and i was like i can't sit still like i haven't sat still in months and i don't know how uh, that's what draft it's, season does to you. It's so weird. And I don't think a lot of draft analysts really talk about this. They talk about like getting family time and relaxing and sleeping. And it's true, but there's this weird ingrained urge. The only way to do this much work in time for the draft is to just 
freaking grind like put your nose down and people don't a lot of people don't really understand what that means and it's nights and weekends and saying no to birthday parties you and i talked about this you had to reschedule a birthday party for the weekend of the draft for your godson because Mm -hmm. like you're just like i'm not gonna be there and you say that for like three or four months at like almost every opportunity and then it just ends there's a little bit of wrap up like sunday monday i did a thing on on tuesday with an italian podcast which was super fun and then there's just this calm and it's so weird like the side people say silence is really loud like it's ridiculous to sit in a chair and be like i have to be doing something like i have to and you just don't and it takes you like three or four days to to get on the program and get back to being normal uh if there is such a thing normal so no i'm psyched i love the udfa process i'm super excited about all the content that we have coming this summer um we're gonna get some more guests on uh everybody loved the guests we had um pre-draft i just have to put a shout out that everybody contributed to making our draft coverage a massive success so we're well over 300 thousand views for all of our pre-draft content and our draft live stream so if you ball it all together well over three hundred thousand people have viewed that stuff on youtube which is amazing more people have listened on podcasts um day one live stream from this year's draft is our most viewed piece of content ever Forty-five thousand yeah. views currently um that is stunning a bunch of people took advantage of the the promo code at the store and bought bootleg gear and just the level of interaction i think we had thirty five thousand chat messages over four days from wednesday to saturday um just the level of interaction the the thirst the hunger the the joy um can't thank everybody enough it's been tremendous we're up to 12.7 thousand followers on youtube which is a tremendous jump you're about ten and a half right before the draft um that is just stunning stunning stuff so we're loving it you apparently are loving it and we're just going to keep feeding it to you so there you go yeah to celebrate all of our growth we're going to talk about undrafted players for two hours just what our audience loves the most and i say that completely unironically because they'd be mad if we didn't spend two hours talking about undrafted they'd, they'd say we were kidnapped again they'd be like what is, yeah. what is this a 60 minute episode what happened to you guys did you lose your nerve by the way oh you know what we actually we, we didn't actually talk about the drinks even though we we're supposed to talk about the drinks uh oh, i drinks. got a uh, uh yeah i got from something in your neck of the woods yeah. woodenville distillery this is a port cask finished bourbon oh. uh and it's they get they get all their grains oh. from a farm out in quincy over in eastern washington and then distill it in uh in woodenville and uh, they 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 say that they season their casks in the harsh Washington weather, which basically means <laughs> it gets rained and snowed on. Yeah, they leave them out. <laughs> they leave them outside is all they they mean. No, Woodenville's just to the north of me. Uh, very short car trip. They make some great stuff. I've not had their pork cast finish. Um, yeah, they, oh, that was my first sip. Wow, that's like chocolatey. What the? Fuck? Yeah, their stuff is. Uh, they make. Um, uh, they make a brown sugar bourbon, uh, which is really like, I think the best use is like over ice cream. Um, but no, they have a lot of fun stuff. It's extremely rich. Um, so yeah, good stuff and, and very local. So when you, uh, 
when you come to that Seahawks game this year, we're, we're going to have to load up. Uh, but what am I drinking? I am drinking leftovers because I didn't even go to the beer store. I just flat out relaxed. Uh, I have a uh, Freem Pale Ale. The nice. Uh, this has got to be the best UCLA bear ever, a beer ever, because it's got a bear on it and it's blue and gold. So if you took this to a UCLA home, UCLA home game, you'd be uh, you'd be all set. It's made in Hood River, Oregon um, craft brewery that I had seen for about a year, year and a half in local stores, but, um, just started picking their stuff up two or three months ago. This is the third or fourth different style from them I've had. Um, it's very drinkable. It's a nice summer beer. Uh, it's the last one out of a six pack. And, uh, then I have a very large <laughs> glass of water to follow it up because I'm finding that, um, hydration's not a bad deal <laughs> right oh, yeah. now you were you were for lit. you were lit on day one when you came back from justin fields getting picked and you came back after doing the <laughs> you were gone dude <laughs> it was so funny because uh we did uh, so justin fields got picked by the bears and i was doing um post-draft reaction pods with the guys from windy city the two other draft analysts and robert schmitz who was uh running the video and the podcast and and sort of trying to keep heard all the cats uh at that moment which was tough because all four of us were just buzzing we couldn't believe that it had happened um and jacob infante who you ended up apologizing to the live stream um was on his phone for that session and it took us about 35 minutes to record it and he never stopped moving like he was literally walking around i think it was a friend's apartment he said and he like just just kept moving we kept jacob like stop man you're fine like it's man and he was like ah and he just couldn't he just kept walking for like 35 straight minutes but that ended up being um i found out like two days later the the third rated podcast on sb nation for like the entire first day of the draft was the fields reaction podcast because we'll talk about fields plenty in the summer in divisional previews but it really did that pick really did reignite the chicago fan base which is kind of a sleeping giant everybody had no expectations going into the season especially with the way the season ended and then naggy and pace being re-upped and then fields got picked and oh my god it just lit the fuse like so we'll talk about and then, that but it's... and then tevin jenkins got picked and I, I i don't know if you noticed the view count on my tevin jenkins episode but the second he became a bear that exploded again because bears fans are crazy and some of them are like, I've watched this four times since we picked him. I was like, yeah, that sounds like Bears fans. Ever the optimist. But why don't we get into these UDFAs? Um, first things first, because we have a very eclectic audience, we have a lot of international listeners. Some of them might not be familiar with the UDFA process, what it stands for, what it means, what all these guys are. So EJ, uh, why don't you take us through what a UDFA is? Explain it for some people that might not be familiar with the process and, and how it all works. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're happy to do it because people tell us all the time that we're helping them understand football. And that's one of the highest compliments we can get as content creators. We we want everybody to understand the game. So if you know what UDFAs are, cool, go grab yourself a beer. Uh, if you don't know what a UDFA is, it stands for undrafted free agent. And it's literally someone that wasn't chosen during the draft. So about well, anywhere between like 800 and 1400 people sign with an agent every year um, and declare for the draft by doing so and say, I'm eligible to be picked. I am leaving college and I'm, and I'm going to go pro. Um, only 250 something folks get chosen in the seven rounds of the NFL draft and everybody else is an undrafted free agent. Their rights automatically revert to themselves and they can choose their destination. 
So even towards the end of the draft, um, teams start calling people and saying, hey, we're, we're thinking about picking you. We, we might not pick you. If we don't pick you and you don't get picked by somebody else, like we want to be your first call. And this process goes on all through Saturday, like the last two to three rounds of Saturday. Teams will start calling players that were on their board that they don't think they're going to get a chance at that they think might not get drafted and say, hey, if it happens that you don't get picked up, we're going to be your first call. We'd like you to come to camp. We're going to sign you. We have a bonus. They have a certain amount they can spend for bonuses. So there's a competition between teams, and it really puts the uh, control back on the player, right? They can pick their destination. They can go to their hometown team. They They and their agent can look at the depth chart on a certain team and say, well, hey, I'm a wide receiver, and they only have five wide receivers, and only two of them are any good, so I'm going to go there because I think I have the best shot to stick. Um, and then we had the sort of clarification of how do you win the UDFA process? Well, there's a lot of different ways. It's all free talent. You don't have to pay any draft capital for it. You don't have to give up any picks or, or mortgage anything in the future. Um, it's a very low cost addition. It's very low risk. A lot of players that have risk attached to them, whether it's medical, whether it's off field stuff, um, or whether it's just, Hey, they're a great athlete. And you know, uh, they're more developmental. They're not going to make an impact right away. Those are the guys you go get in UDFA because there's no risk. A GM's never going to get fired over not signing or not winning the UDFA process. But on the other hand, if you hit it, if you get a valuable asset, you get a starter out of UDFA and it happens. James Robinson last year, led all rookies in rushing for Jacksonville, He is a guy that is going to be a centerpiece of that offense moving forward, even though they picked another running back. He's going to have a role. If you do that for your franchise, their contract is minimal. There's absolutely no risk, and you're getting huge value. Even if you get good backups, special teamers, practice squad players, anybody that sticks on your roster or your practice squad for free, you did a good job. If you get multiples out of that process, that is how teams get built. They are the literally the mortar between the bricks. The James Robinsons are a bit more rare, but there are a lot of guys in this league that are on active rosters, playing downs, subbing in, uh, you know, just down eaters, right? Guys that can go in and do their job, make their assignment, and you paid almost nothing for them financially and in draft capital. So the UDFA process is really important, and teams that do it well definitely have a leg up over teams that don't. And every once in a while, you get a guy that's going to end up in your ring of honor. The Texans got Arian Foster as a UDFA. I mean, there was some, he was talented at Tennessee, but there was some stuff that 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 caused him to go undrafted. Nothing major or anything like that. You know, the NFL was a different time and place back then, and certain things were emphasized more than others. But you know, Aaron Foster was was a great football player. Ended up going undrafted, took the starting job within you know a year and a half of being this undrafted rookie, and became in my view, one of the preeminent zone running backs in the history of the league, you know? So it's, you can get really, really, really good players as UDFAs just because somebody doesn't get drafted doesn't mean they're not good. And so we're going to go through a lot of players that that didn't get their name called last week or a week and a half ago, whatever it is now. And, uh, and we're going to talk about, you know, not just their skill set, but their fit on their teams and, and why we think that they're massively undervalued players. Uh, first things first, why don't we start with the teams that got, uh, in our view, you know, winning UDFA classes just from signing one guy alone, where it's almost like even if 
they only got this one guy, it would still be considered a successful UDFA class. And that's the Dolphins with Robert Jones, uh, an offensive tackle, most likely going to play guard for Middle Tennessee State. Uh, the Browns with Marvin Wilson, who at one point was considered a first round talent going back to like after the 2019 season. He went an, an, an undrafted free agent. He's an interior defensive lineman from Florida State. The Panthers getting David Moore, who most likely will be a center for them from Grambling. Uh, and then the Ravens, my God, the rich get richer, somehow getting Ardarius Washington, who we both thought might be like a late day two, early day three pick at safety. And they got him undrafted out of TCU. And I don't know anybody that has any reason for why he went undrafted because he's a really good football player. I guess we'll find out eventually. But yeah, what do you think of these four guys uh, back to back to back to back? Because uh, these are really good football players that I don't understand why they didn't get picked. Yeah. And like you said, we won't know maybe ever, but uh, probably in a couple of years, we'll figure it out. Um, even just during the pre-draft scouting process, I was doing some late night sessions with other draft analysts and they were talking about uh, both guys that did get drafted, but lower than we thought, or guys that didn't get drafted. And they were like, oh, you didn't hear that they did blank. And I was like, nope, hadn't heard that. That makes sense. <laughs> um, so you, you usually find out. Uh, sometimes you don't. Uh, sometimes there's just never a reason. But uh, these are the classes where they got one hit. Now they might pick up other guys. They might get, but these guys were all either showed out in the senior bowl. That's David Moore and Robert Jones both played very well at the senior bowl. Marvin Wilson, if you'd said he was going to be undrafted free agent after his 2019 season, you would have told me to get off the planet, right? <laughs> he was playing at like, what was a pro bowl looking like possible all pro, you know, level in college as as a nose tackle and just dominating now 2020 didn't go so well there were some whispers about injury concerns maybe knees again we don't know that but there is no way after 2019 that guy was undrafted he was maybe a second rounder worst a third and now we go a year later and he goes undrafted for whatever reason but Cleveland is a loaded team. They had an amazing draft on top of that. And then they get a guy like Marvin Wilson in UDFA. Like if Marvin, Marvin Wilson hits, even as a rotational interior defensive tackle, that's, that's it. Their UDFA class the home run may. Yeah. Right. Home and run. it's the same for any of these guys. David Moore was a guy we talked about. I, I talked about a guy as a late round pick for the bears, right? Swing center or guard. Just that one. It stunned me. Cause I'm like, we all watched what he did at the Senior Bowl. Boogie Basham yeah. got dick against stood him. Stood up. Flat up. Nothing. Stood up. And again, Moore is not a guy that's going to work great in his zone system. He's not super mobile, but he's incredibly tough. I described him as a living tree stump, right? You just can't uproot him. You can get into him, but he's not going anywhere. He's going to oppose you 100%. And for teams that run power, for that run gap, that don't need a ton of mobility, that don't necessarily need that center to get out to the second or third level or way out to the edge on a pole, like David Moore's a great fit. And here he goes undrafted. And there's there's been a lot of talk about uh, historically black colleges and, and the players not getting uh, certainly a fair shake. Even in this season that uh, scouts travel time was a bit more limited and people's access to college campuses was a bit more limited. and and the bottom of the chain literally lost out. They did have the the first ever HBCU combine this year, which was awesome. But like more went to the senior bowl and stood up against guys that, you know, were 
for much bigger schools and were going to be drafted much higher. And everybody Second said, round picks. Yeah. yeah, everybody said he's getting drafted. Well, he didn't get drafted, but Carolina ends up with, they got a couple of other guys that might contribute, but like David Moore is most likely going to be on their active roster. And again, they didn't pay anything for him. And then Ardarius Washington was a guy we scratched our heads from about the middle of the third on. Um, yeah. We just said, He's still on the board. He's still on the board. It's the fourth. It's the fifth. And after you get a guy like our Darius Washington, who is clearly like could have been a second round talent if he'd been picked a little bit high, but just a little bit easily a third round talent in this draft. And you get that guy to the fourth, you get that guy to the fifth and the bell kind of goes off in the back of your head. And you're like, okay, something's up, right? Don't know what it is, but something's up. There's no way this guy is a fifth round player. And then he goes all the way out and undrafted. So there's definitely something going on. What it was, we don't know. But I would say possibly the best best player in the EDFA class overall. I think certainly the most highly ranked player that didn't get drafted. And he ends up going to Baltimore, which is just amazing. He ends up a Raven. <laughs> Ravens, eh, pretty good history of safeties that played at the Ravens. There was this guy. Um, yeah, anyways. Uh, <laughs> Ed something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a really good football player. So Ardarius Washington, I'm not saying he's Ed Reed, uh, but he's a really good football player. And to get that guy for free, again, if he sticks on the roster and eh, there's, I think very few chances that he doesn't probably stick on the active roster. We're not even talking about the practice squad. Um, you know, that's it. You got a, you got a great football player for essentially free, right? You're not paying him anything yeah. in contract. You're paying him very, very little compared to anybody that got drafted. Um, there's no guarantee. So if you cut him, there's no loss. And, you know, you got probably a starter on defense maybe next year for zero input and that's yeah. that's a steal he's going to be competing with brandon stevens who they're saying is going to play safety for them which i don't i mean he's fat he's really really athletic so like i they must see something like about you know ranginess and ball skills that they like at safety more than corner i felt like he could kind of do either one but we'll see um right now but they're starting honest start. question <laughs> what if you put brandon stevens tape against our darius washington's tape who starts I mean, just going like off what easily, we saw in college, like easily, yeah. right? It's it funny because Brandon Stevens was the third round pick and our Darius goes undrafted. And I'm like, I get Brandon Stevens is a better athlete, but there's more to football than that. So and I, this is one of those where you said multiple times during the draft, hey, if you reverse those two, I'd be totally comfortable with it. Right. If our Darius went in the third and Brandon Stevens was the UDFA, I would have been like, yeah, that's normal. But it's not for whatever reason it gets switched and juxtaposed and and we're dealing with a great player who everybody ranked very highly along with his backfield mate Trevor Morig and here he is and the Ravens get him for nothing and i think at, at worst cuz he, he's not somebody that they're going to I would be very surprised if he goes practice squad because he's somebody that would be liable to get poached immediately. I don't yep. think they would let that happen. They already have good safeties with Deshaun Elliott and Chuck Clark. They don't necessarily need him, but it's one of those things where like he's such a good player. Like, let's just let's get him on our team so that he doesn't hurt us on another team. I wouldn't be surprised if like he beats out Jordan Richards for their fourth safety spot, maybe even be like a backup nickel to Tavon Young because man, they got screwed last year when he got hurt. Like he can do a That's whole bunch where of different I see stuff. It. That's Nickel? where I see it. Uh, yeah. I mean, because the thing that stuck out to me on his tape uh, was his ability to cover man crossers. 
And man crossers are where defenses get stressed these days. You need players that can do it, and there's not that many players that do it really well. Despite his size, he's a little on the shorter side. That's not why he went UDFA. He can cover man crossers like a dog. Like he is so good at that. So I don't care whether you call him a third safety. I don't care whether you call him a backup nickel or a second slot corner. I don't care what you call him. He can cover a man cross. Like he can eliminate that guy. And that is a valuable skill set. So I don't really care what you call him. He's going to end up playing. He'll just be on the field in some capacity. They'll find a way. It's the Ravens. They're a good team. They'll find a way to get him on the field. Uh, Another one I wanted to highlight, Robert Jones, who is another one where I didn't, there, there's a few guys where it's like, I didn't realize that they went undrafted until I looked at it the next day where I'm like, what? How did that happen? Like Robert Jones to me, I was very high on as an interior convert from tackle to guard, particularly for gap scheme teams. Cause when you watch this dude pull, it is violent. Like he wants to end your life every time <laughs> he finds a linebacker on the second level. Uh, I really, really loved him as a puller and they would run like dart and counter Trey and just find excuses to pull him because he was so good at it, which to me obviously projects well to guard. If you're, if you're in a team that likes to run power a lot, or if you like to run counter a lot, um, I can understand why they, you know, why some teams maybe were a little bit not scared about his pass protection at tackle, but again, at guard, I think he'll be fine, but going undrafted, there had to have been a medical thing, like maybe because he went to middle Tennessee and the competition level, fine, whatever, but come on, like you watch this guy absolutely annihilate people. You see Quinn Miners go, you know, day two, which again, I'm totally fine with. I love Quinn Miners, but it's like, that's also a small school guy that had a good senior bowl that is really athletic and, and good at pulling. Like what, why, why did Robert Jones go undrafted? They're, they're not that far off from each other. Like, I, I don't know. No. I don't get it. It's a great point. And you're getting a guy that is probably going to be either a spot starter um, or a starter like a swing starter in two, three years. Like I would be Mm -hmm. really surprised if Robert Jones is not on Miami in two or three years as either uh, their top backup at interior or starting by that point, because he'll have had a couple of camps at that point. He'll, he'll have been in the, you know, the nutrition and the weight room program for a couple of years. Like I could absolutely see Robert Jones being the starting guard in a couple of years in Miami. And that Miami team is getting to the point where it's kind of like where the Cleveland team was a couple of years ago before Stefanski got there. Like they're loaded talent wise. They have a ton of draft picks. Chris Gears doing a great job restocking that roster and he'll still have a good shot at being the starting guard. It's not like, oh, he's the placeholder until they get another guy. Like that guy with a little bit of development can be an NFL starter and you got him for free. Yeah, I mean, right now you look at all, this is just a point about Miami in general. You look at some of the young offensive line talent they've collected. None of them are are brand names. You know, Austin Jackson from USC, it's a brand name school, but most people were like, eh, okay, Austin Jackson, we like him, we don't love him. Um, but he's got a whole bunch of athletic potential. Remember, he he was coming off of donating a kidney to his sister, mm-hmm. so it's like in his last year at USC. So you don't you don't really get to see him be himself until like the last month of the season. Had some ups and downs as a rookie, but I thought he acquitted himself well. You get Liam Eikenberg, who's solid as a rock, presumably to be right tackle. Robert Hunt, exceptionally violent. They're moving back inside where I thought he fit better. Uh, you know, you got Solomon Kelly last year as well. Um, and then obviously you bring in Robert Jones, who I think will make the roster. Like some of the offensive line, the young offensive line talent that they brought in 
none of them were huge names, but they all play very disciplined. Uh, they all play with just incredible effort. I mean, all these guys are signed up for a fight every single game. Uh, I really like um, just kind of the the young offensive line culture they're building in Miami because even if we're kind of like, eh, maybe, maybe not on Tua, I can at least, you know, hang my head on the offensive line. I can hang my head on the skill position players. And what Miami is doing for the long term, I'm just a massive, massive fan of. Yeah, it reminds me of Detroit. I, I put out a tweet this this week that they're building a wall. And right now it's for Jared <laughs> Goff. And, you know, eventually it'll probably be for somebody else. But they're building a wall. Like four of their five guys are under 23 years old and signed up for the next four years. Uh, and they're all, like you said, super talented. They are big name guys. And they're doing the same thing. They're building, they're building a front right front they can run behind front they can pass behind like those are two teams that again uh miami's a little farther along in the development curve so we'll probably see results from them sooner maybe this year uh, certainly by next year and again you know two will get this year to to see if he's the fit there he'll have every opportunity again he's got a lot of linemen in front of him they got him some wep- some more weapons um and you know Detroit's probably a year, year and a half behind, uh, but they're they're approaching it the same way. Build from the inside out, assemble a bunch of talent. Detroit got theirs a little bit higher uh, than the way Miami did it, but it's the same thing. Well, why don't we talk about Detroit's UDFA class while we're there? Because they kind of headlight headline our other category of UDFA winners for teams, which is teams that didn't just get like that one you know, marquee UDFA, like the last four teams we're talking about, but they got, you know, three, four, five guys that we're all looking at. It's like, those are all draftable guys. Like it's not just a one name UDFA class. It's maybe four guys that could end up on the roster, the active roster by September. Uh, The Lions I felt had one of the deepest UDFA halls, if not the deepest, when you look at total amount of names in the entire league, you got Jonathan Adams Jr., a really good jump ball receiver from Arkansas State, Sage Surratt, another just massive jump ball receiver specialist in the back shoulder fade. You watch him at the Senior Bowl, that's basically all he did was back shoulder fades. Uh, Brock Wright, who's basically just Dan Campbell's spirit animal. He's a blocking tight end at a Notre Dame, just, you know, uh, an offensive lineman that that doesn't eat as many biscuits is, is what I like to describe him as, but he's very good at it. Uh, Tommy Kramer, also from Notre Dame, who you and I both liked on the interior. We loved him. And then Drake Jackson, the center from Kentucky. We, we mentioned the offensive wall that Detroit's building and the depth that they were able to acquire, not just with their draft picks, but with these UDFAs with Tommy Kramer and Drake Jackson was phenomenal. Brock Wright, I think, fills a role that, you know, together with him and Hawkinson, it, like, you, like you're going 12 personnel, you're going in like single back wing, you get those two right next to each other. They're both very good run blockers with that offensive line. I don't care if the defense has a numbers advantage. You're going to get yards there. And then John Adams and Sage Surratt. If there's one thing that Jared Goff can do, I think is throw a good jump ball. So I think that kind of fits his skill set too. Like this whole UDFA class from the Lions. I know statistically not all of them will make the roster, but it also wouldn't surprise me if all of them made the roster. Yeah, teams in rebuilds and the Lions are maybe the most clear rebuild status. Uh, you know, you could say Texans, sure, but 
the Lions are they needed new talent. They they brought in, you know, new general manager, new head coach. Uh the talent that had been drafted in that system had not been developed under Matt Patricia. Um, that was what a lion a lot of Lions fans sort of complained about. Um, was hey, we just it doesn't seem cohesive. We're kind of all over the place. It doesn't seem to be going in the right direction. Certainly didn't pile up a lot of wins. Scratch the scratch the whole thing, start over. Dan Campbell comes in and they had a great draft. We're going to talk about that in our, in our best drafts episode, but we had them ranked as our number three overall UDFA class um, because look, they had an opening. <laughs> you can, you can say uh, pleasantly that they had an opening at wide receiver, right? They basically had Quintez Cephas under contract. That's it. Everybody That's else it. left. So it was just Quintez Cephas in a room looking around going, Hey guys, guys, what? anyways, so in the draft, they get Amon Ross St. Brown. It's great, but they just keep going in the UDFA class. And two guys, again, that had draftable grades, and a lot of people talked about being drafted in the fifth or sixth or seventh rounds. Jonathan Adams, big, tall guy from Arkansas State, who's explosive downfield receiver, has a real knack for tracking the ball in the air. It's it's just a skill you either have or you don't. Um, and then Sage Sherratt, like, his highlights are pretty repetitive, but he's darn good at it. Goes down the <laughs> sideline, turns around, jumps over the cornerback, and catches the ball. And we made a joke about it during the Senior Bowl streams, like, oh, Sage Sherratt caught a back shoulder fade? Really? I'm shocked. Like, wow, that's what he does. So, uh, and – they just added talent where they had a need. And like you said, Tommy Kramer was a guy I was really not upset, but I, I was scouting him last year and and he decided, Oh, I'm going back to Notre Dame. And I was like, damn, he was a good one. He's a really good swing interior lineman. He could play a little bit of tackle in a pinch, but he's a really good guard left or right. Um, I think he could be a center. He's a little tall for that, but he's really effective on the interior offensive line. You get that guy for free to back up again, that wall you're building of the higher priced, higher profile talent on the offensive line. Then Drake Jackson had a tremendous college career against SEC pass rushers, right? Kentucky's in the SEC. And you look at his stats and you're like, oh, that's against guys like Aziz Ojolari and, and, you know, name, and, you know name every yeah. defensive tackle you want. And, you know, you're like, oh, he did that. Well, he's a little bit undersized. But again, you put him behind Ragnow and say, learn. Come on. I, that's just it's crazy value. Brock Wright gives them flexibility to run the ball in heavy sets. DeAndre Swift, like Detroit had a great draft and they just kept going in UDFA. They just kept hammering needs. Um, again, a lot of UDFAs, especially wide receivers, are going to look at the Detroit opportunity and go, they have one wide receiver. Like, that's my best chance to stick in the league. I can go. Like, every UDFA has that belief in themselves that I'm an NFL player. And you look at that opportunity, and they were very successful, right? Multiple teams are calling these guys, and they they get to pick. Now, the power's in their hands. And you see guys or, or teams that have kind of, eh, UDFA halls. Doesn't mean they weren't calling. Doesn't mean they weren't trying. Means they got outbid or somebody looked at it and said, hey, I want to stay home and play for my home team. Or, you know, you've got five, six guys at wide receiver that, are established. I'm not going to come be a camp body for you when I can probably make that roster over there. And and for the offensive linemen specifically, because like again, Tommy Kramer and Drake Jackson were able to look at the depth chart before they were taking calls for DFAs. We were talking kind of earlier this offseason about Dan Campbell's personality. You know, he's a very good personality. The fact that he was still able to recruit these guys to go be backups, because frankly, behind those starting five, they will be backups. They're not going to start unless there's like an injury situation. I would not be surprised if Dan Campbell's personality made a difference in recruitment 
for all of the, I mean, sure. Brock Wright, Kramer, Drake Jackson, maybe even to a degree the receivers too. Because it, it, let's let's be honest, Detroit was not looking like a sexy destination going into this offseason. But I think Dan Campbell, when he was able to meet with these guys in the pre-draft process and, you know, sell himself as a coach to them, interviews are going, you know, it's a two-way street. I think it made a difference for for how they were able to recruit these UDFAs. I don't think it was just a money issue. I think people like players genuinely want to play for Dan Campbell. Um, and I think that's going to be a factor for them going forward, not just for undrafted guys, but, you know, potentially as they get more money in the next couple of years for actual big name proven free agents in the NFL too. like sales pitches matter. It's not all a money decision for, for some guys it is, but for a lot of guys, like they, they got to go to a team and for a coach that they actually want to play for. And if Dan Campbell is establishing himself as a coach that players want to be around, you know, the anti Matt Patricia, it's going to go a long way to making Detroit a desirable destination for free agents, big and small. Yeah. For now it's about the pitch (laughs) next year. The pitch might carry over. And after that, it's about, are you improving? Are you creating a roster where I can win? Um, are you starting to stack wins or at least be a really tough out? And, you know, maybe then you add your quarterback and and you sort of set the path for the future behind that offensive line with with a star quarterback. And, and that'll continue the recruiting. But for the first year, year and a half, you're not wrong. Like you say, hey, we're going to change things here. Uh, you know, this is our philosophy and you fit it. We want you here. Like we've got opportunity and we're building something. And, and some guys are going to. Some guys are going to resonate to that really strongly. Other guys are going to be like, no, nah, I'd rather, you know, if I can get a spot on Tampa Bay's practice squad, I'll take it. Right. Cause they've yeah. got a shot. Give me the ring. <laughs> Give yeah. me the ring. Sure. Uh, why don't we talk about the Falcons? Because they also had, uh, you know, not as many names as the lions. Very few teams had as many, I think high quality UDFAs in our opinions as the lions, but they still had a trio that I, I think was absolutely worth mentioning and that's Javin hawkins the running back from louisville antonio nunn one of your favorites from buffalo and felipe franks who is he going to be matt's ryan matt ryan's heir apparent probably not but he's got so many tools and getting him for free just for you to develop and just see what he's got over the next two years because matt ryan is not going anywhere I, I kind of like Arthur Smith was just like, hey, give me the dude who's a freak of nature. I'll figure it out. If he doesn't work, he doesn't work. Whatever. Cost us nothing. Yeah. I really like that Felipe Franks pickup. Yeah. And Atlanta overall, 19 guys. Again, new head coach. They had a 19-player UDFA class. That's a lot. <laughs> the the least is none or a couple, you know, one or two. There's a couple, couple teams that signed zero to two UDFAs. Most teams sign, you know, six, 10. Some of them get up to 12, maybe 15. 19 is a ton. So it's no different than the draft, right? More swings equals more opportunity to see if these guys are going to be practice squads, if they're going to be in-season replacements. You could call and say, come take a practice squad spot because we elevated our practice squad, right? This is all... You said interviews, right? And it goes two ways. Is the team good? But also, like, can we add this guy to our list? If he doesn't get picked up, is he a potential backup's backup? Which matters midseason when there's attrition. So 19 guys is one thing. JV and Hawkins was a really small back who is very electric out of Louisville. Um, but he is really small. <laughs> he's really small. So he's not going to fit in every system, but he's one of those guys that, 
look, you're in the UDFA process. It's no skin off your nose. It's not a, not going to be a, you know, check mark against you as a general manager to go get anybody in the UDFA class. If they hit, you're a genius. If they don't, you didn't pay anything for them. It's fine. Um, none, I, you know, it's an interesting one that again, he chose the Falcons and I'm like, really, man, <laughs> like you're a talented wide receiver, but did you look at the depth chart? Because Atlanta has one of the best wide receiver cores in the league and not likely going to crack that this year. And if you don't crack it this year, that's the thing about a UDFA. They have no compunction to hold on to you. Like maybe yeah. you're thinking practice squad. And then there are a bunch of guys rotating off in Atlanta via contract as a possibility. Julio Jones gets traded. Like he might be playing the long game, but that is a ballsy move by none to say, I'm going to go where it's the best and see if I stick. Now, maybe it's the only call he got. I doubt it. He's a talented player, and he was definitely on a bunch of lists. But um, interesting, and you know, love the player, and I hope he does. I hope he sticks. Uh, and then Felipe Franks was on our ball of clay list. Tremendous athlete. Again, you take a shot at a quarterback. If you hit on a quarterback in UDFA, if you get, and I'm not even talking about Tony Romo, right? That's the, yeah. that's the one everybody brings up. That's the best of the, the best. outlier. It's going to happen one time out of, you know, a thousand, right? You're yeah. going to, it, that's not what you're looking for. If you get a guy that's a capable clipboard holder that can come in and, and, you know, finish out a game if, you know, Matt Ryan twists his ankle, like, that's amazing. Do I think Felipe Franks is that guy right now? I definitely don't. If you heard, heard me talk about him pre draft, but, you know, see if you can figure it out physically. Not that far off Tannehill, right? Arthur Smith just came from Tennessee and a very athletic guy played a little bit of wide receiver. I know everybody gets upset about that when I say in college, because he wasn't really a wide receiver, but sorry, he did play a little bit of wide receiver. Um, Felipe Franks physically not that different than Tannehill and maybe Arthur Smith, like <laughs> offensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, and now head coaches are famous for going, I can fix him right give, <laughs> give me all that stuff i can fix them and you know if you're gonna start you might as well start with a, a car that's got a lot of good parts and felipe frank certainly does so interesting class for atlanta both in overall depth 19 players that's a ton i think it's the most um uh this year and then you know three interesting players all on offense who you know have varying paths to the roster let's just say that but I, I think the the 19 players thing really speaks to an agent or agents looking at that roster and saying, Hey, this team wasn't very good last year. They had to jettison a lot of dudes because of salary cap, or at least, you know, not extend people because of salary cap, they might have to trade some people. So the, the long-term ability to make the roster in Atlanta under a new coaching staff that has zero loyalty to anybody that was on that roster last year, uh, I can understand why agents were, were, you know, circling around Atlanta saying like, if you're going to make a team, dude, it's there. <laughs> like it's there. Give it I a can shot. understand that. Um, let's talk about the bills who also had a, a, a UDFA class worth mentioning. And, and for me, the one name that I really want to point out is Elijah Griffin, uh, who's a corner from USC. He, I, I, he was another one where I'm like, he didn't go day three, at least like a, a physical press corner that has some really good reps, especially 
uh, on routes down the boundary. Like it's kind of like a Parnell Motley thing all over again, where it's, it's like you, you saw some of the receivers that he did really well against, put up some really good tape against. Uh, he went undrafted. Uh, also, fun fact, Warren G's son, Elijah Griffin. I know you shared this with me, and it, my first question was, did he play in Snoop's Youth Football League? Because it certainly seems like that would have to happen, but uh, we can't confirm or deny whether he did yet, but we'll we'll get back to you. But no, Griffin was one of those guys that I'm the same. Everybody had him pegged as a mid to late round corner, but a draftable corner. He was draftable on pretty much every board I saw. I never saw him in the UDFA range. Now, again, we don't know what went on. We don't know about medicals, whatever else. But yeah, you get there's it's just such a flurry over the three days of the draft that you don't catch everything. You don't catch every landing spot. Not, not all those things stick. And then you're sort of sifting and sorting on Sunday and Monday. And you're like, wait, what? He signed as a UDF. He didn't get drafted. What are you talking about? Like that guy had draftable tape and there's a lot of guys and he's not the only guy on the Bills UDFA class that had draftable tape. Quentin Morris, the wide receiver turned tight end for Bowling Green is a very interesting player as a move tight end. Now they have Dawson Knox up there, you know, he's playing well, but I find it hard to think that Quentin Morris isn't going to make a dent in that roster. And then Tariq Thompson, who is a safety out of San Diego state. We both liked his tape. He had a terrible testing session. His RAS was abysmal, made you go back to the tape and go, did I miss it? Did I just not see that he was a step slow? No, he had awesome tape as a safety. He was definitely draftable. And again, talented secondary for the Bills, but some guys that are going to start to rotate out who are going to come up for contract. It, like They're going to be able to pay some of them, but they're not going to be, be able to pay all of them top dollar. And the trend towards nickel and dime and three safety looks, you just need quality defensive backs. It doesn't really matter whether they're safeties or corners. And look, Tariq Thompson's a talented player. Now, is he going to make the the active roster for the bills right off he might not but he's a guy that's probably not going to get poached so you could put him on the practice squad wait for somebody to get injured and bring him up and you'd be you know brandon bean's going to be looking like a genius when that guy comes in and plays some very solid you know depth reps mid-season everybody goes where did he come from and you're like udfa didn't pay anything for him yep talented guy yep tested poorly Mm -hmm. still stole him what what would you say would be like the average percentage of a defense playing nickel? By the way, since you brought up you know teams are oh teams are it's uh, I looked it up last year it was uh, somewhere between like sixty seven and seventy. I think you know how much the Bills played it last year. Hmm. No, they were le- they led the league in nickel ninety one point two seven percent. Yeah, they're yeah. just in nickel. And when they're not in nickel, they're in dime. That's what they're in. Right. (laughs) People, and I, it's funny because our buddies at Rockpile Report, which shout out to Drew and Chris at Rockpile Report. If you, if you don't follow Rockpile Report, great Bills podcast. But uh, I did a linebackers preview with them pre-draft. I know you did a position preview with them as well. And we're talking about linebackers and, and Drew's uh, agenda was pretty funny. It was like, so who are the best, like, you know, four, three outside, who's the best weak side, who's the best three, four will. And I was like, Drew, this is all you're talking about base. Like base is base is a novelty. Base is what you play like on the goal line. And he was like, really? And I was like, no, really? Like nickel league wide is about 70%. It's the new base. If you're talking about base, it's nickel. 
like two linebackers, a bunch of defensive backs and whatever, you know, defensive line you want to throw in front of that, whether it's four, whether it's five, whether it's three, you know, call it however you want it. But that's what everybody plays. And like you said, they don't revert from nickel to base. They revert from nickel to dime. They they up the defensive backs and pull a linebacker. So as you know, and then he was talking about the difference between three, four and four, three. And I said, he said, what's the real difference? And I said, hand down or hand up. Yeah, it's all and, even front. They yeah. were uh, they were ninety nine point one eight percent even front because they were in nickel. So even if they had stand up linebackers, doesn't matter. They're playing <laughs> even spacing. It's it's four guys on the line of scrimmage, two behind them, five DBs. That's what they are. And I just said no. That's the deal. So if you can pick up a guy again that is going to flex in, we talked about this with our Darius Washington. I don't care whether you call him a safety. I don't care whether you call him a, a nickel starter, nickel backup, nickel. Like he can cover guys that are going to kill you across the middle of the field. And Tariq Thompson can do that. And he can do more. He plays close to the line. He's disruptive. Uh, he had a couple of great sort of hack sacks where he caused, you know, forced fumbles coming up from behind the quarterback and taking a swipe at him. Like this is a guy that can produce difference making plays for your defense again you scooped him up when nobody else did because he tested really poorly but his tape says otherwise yeah i just i i really like what the bills have done uh roster there was a couple draft picks i questioned but the roster overall is so strong that i was like eh whatever they'll figure it out take take Uh, a swing go ahead you're good take a swing whatever if you guys miss you're still fine you got josh allen um but (laughs) their udfa class i really really liked um and the raiders they they got some guys where i'm like they're objectively good players i don't know if they're ever going to see the field because i mean they just got a bunch of dudes but uh you know darius stills the the interior guy from from west virginia trey regis is like they're running back five because mm-hmm. like when you look at their depth chart it's josh jacobs Kenyon drake who they signed for some reason jalen richard theo riddick uh who's more of a receiver for them and then trey regis like if you're running that depth chart has trey regis as your rb5 you're doing okay <laughs> regis is just one of those guys right you're like you look at his sort of physical build you look at his testing and you go man like that's that's just a guy right that's a jag jag just a guy and then you look at his tape and you're like holy shit he got hit at the three and it was a 17 yard gain right he got hit three yards past the line of scrimmage and it was a 17 yard game not fast not terrible elusive but he just grinds and that seems to me like a guy that they would bring in as a short yards power back um you know, guy that they're going to bring on on goal line guy that they might sub in on some fullback reps because he's kind of got that, that, you know, swagger to him. Like, Oh, all I have to do is run out and hit that guy. I don't have to score. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see how they use him. Great special teams player. I'm sure Um, Bushman's if he's healthy is, was probably going to be my TE like four or five. If he was healthy, absolutely dropped because of, injury like For there's sure. no other reason no other reason why you should have gone undrafted yeah so these are the guys you scrape the bottom of the barrel in udfa and you're like hey man like marvin wilson you played great in 2019 and we remember so we're gonna pick you you know matt bushman before you had that knee injury you were pretty awesome so we're gonna grab you uh we're gonna talk about another guy a little bit farther down same thing played great put up great tape against the sec had a had a little incident had terrible testing and team overlooked it and said oh we're gonna we're gonna grab you anyways 
Uh, why don't we go to the, the, the Cowboys who had, uh, well, they had a theme for their UDFA class, particularly at wide receiver, which was let's just go get the tallest dudes we can find. Uh, Jaquan Hardy's one that you wanted to bring up from Tiffin. I did not get to him, so I'm going to have you take the lead on him. But uh, Brennan Eagles from Texas, TJ Vasher from Texas Tech especially, and Brandon Smith from from Iowa. It's like, let's just go get athletes and let's go get dudes where I don't care how good the corner is. You're not 6'6 and you don't jump 35 inches. Like if, if Dak just wants to throw it, you know, up into the bleachers, TJ Vasher can probably go get it. Um, but yeah, definitely a theme for, for their wide receiver picks at UDFA. And then Jaquan Hardy, again, with that backfield, he's never, ever going to get significant snaps. But if he's your running back three, I I could, <laughs> I mean, again, you're, you're, you're hunting for guys that are dirt cheap. And if he makes the roster, that's a success. Yeah, absolutely. But Dallas just had value all over the place. They, they restocked. And again, their wide receiver core, is right up there with Atlanta's. If you're talking about starting three, stacking up, like, you know, their wide receiver core is really talented, but they were like, we have a thing. We want to get guys that we can throw fades to from basically 15 yards in (laughs) and make that undefendable. Like if we put four of these guys across the board, you know, you put CD lamb out there and, you know, Brennan Eagles makes the team and each big guys everywhere. We're just going to lob it up. Dak's just going to lob it up and good luck. Um, so they got a really stout defensive tackle, Austin Fellow from Oregon, who a lot of people were saying, like, why isn't this guy getting more play? Like, you look at his tape, he does what a, a nose tackle is supposed to do. Um, we talked about Brandon Smith as a ball of clay guy. He's not as tall as the other guys, but he's a crazy athlete. His jumps were ridiculous. Uh, and then Vasher and Eagles are just towers, like super, super big guys. Um, Jaquan Hardy, again, you know, not going to crack their starting rotation, but Zeke missed a bunch of time last year and he's got a lot of carries on him. Uh, it's, you know, running backs don't tend to sort of have late career resurgence unless their name is like Adrian Peterson. And that's again, super, super rare. But Jaquan Hardy was a guy that um, Jordan Reed from the draft network actually turned me on to and said, Hey, you know, Tiffin, check him out. And I was like, Tiffin, how did I, I used to work in higher education and so usually I'd know at least where a school is or I've heard of it before. <laughs> I don't believe I've ever heard of Tiffin before ever, which is really rare. So I was like, now I have to check him out. And, you know, again, one of those guys gets hurt. We love their top two in their running back depth. You know, is he running back three? Maybe. I don't know how much special teams experience he has, but if one of those guys gets hurt and they stash him on the practice squad, you know, he'd come on and get, you know, not significant carries probably but the the b or c carries and you know even if that's five a game and he's out there putting up yards you got him for free so uh dallas kind of took the scattershot approach they they put people on offense people on defense uh brandon or sorry nick eubanks the tight end for michigan i know some people were excited about i wasn't but again it's going to be one of those special teams blocking type guys that's just a snap eater and then tyler coyle who was a safety at Purdue, but I we really projected him at linebacker. He was one of our ball of clay guys because his mm-hmm. RAS score was ridiculous. It was like 9-8 or something. So again, grab an athlete, right? We say, oh, get to six round, go height, weight, speed. You get you get to UDFA, grab whatever you want, right? You know, if it works out, great as an experiment. If not, you know, hey, doesn't doesn't have a nose for special teams. So what? You're UDFA. Bye. I think out of all these guys, Vasher might have the best chance to, I mean, Hardy's a maybe running back is fungible, but um, I, I think Vasher might have the best chance to make it just because he's the, the most rare 
guy, like when you look at his physical skill set, because he's just so damn big and so long, he only does one thing well, and that's <laughs> jump. He can't do anything else but jump. But again, if you're inside the 15-yard line, that's that's all you really want him to do. If they just brought him in for that reason alone, of you're just you're in the red zone, and you're even if you're just like a distraction card effects, like you're in the red zone, you're this giant dude. They're gonna be overplaying fade. If that's all they bring him in for, I'm fine with that because that's what he's good at. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I you're don't gonna have to much. retrain Dak though, <laughs> because typically it's gonna be like face mask or above for those routes, and you're gonna be like, um, now nah, throw it like just about over the goalpost. <laughs> Yeah, throw it to row right. 23. Yeah, throw, it, throw it just about over the goalpost. He'll go get it. You're like, really? Yeah, look at him. He'll go get it. Yeah. So he's he's freaking Groot. Uh, why don't we keep in the NFC East and talk about the Eagles? Who this one's interesting because as a prospect, I still like Jalen Hurts a lot more than I like Jamie Newman. But Jamie Newman, when you look at his phys- physical skill set, like his deep ball, you just throw in his deep ball cut up. That's not an undrafted quarterback. I, the offense he played in was not generous. I know he didn't play in 2020 because of opt-outs. He was a transfer to Georgia that never ended up playing at Georgia. I get all that. But just the raw ability should not have gone undrafted. So for him to potentially be a developmental, like third, I'm assuming he'll be third string for them this year. But just for the raw ability, just to see what he's got. Uh, I really love that pickup. And then Trayvon Grimes, he was like my wide receiver eight in this entire class. There there had to be a medical thing to to drop him to UDFA because like, I'm sorry, there's nobody else in this class that's, you know, catching jump balls for touchdowns over Pat Sertan and Tyson Campbell and all these corners that are going in the top 40 picks. And, you know, you, you showed up at the senior bowl and Grimes was killing everybody that type of receiver does not go undrafted unless there's a medical thing. I don't know what it is, but there's no other reason for this. Uh, again, he's a very, very, very good receiver, and you're getting him for for nothing. You pair him up with Devontae Smith, you know, Jalen Rager, uh, Fulgham's still there, I think. Like All of a sudden, Hurts has weapons that he can work with, and I'm a lot more optimistic about Hurts' second year in the league now than I was two weeks ago. Yeah, both of those guys I don't deserve the EDFA tag in terms of the tape they put up and the physical skills that they have. Um, and Newman was a ball of clay guy, uh, not because of his RAS testing, but because of what you saw him do on the field. When he, I said in our pre-draft episode about him, uh, about the other quarterbacks, I said when he puts it all together, he – he has some of the biggest wow highlights of anybody in this class. And look, it, it was a talented quarterback class. Like Justin Fields is great. Like there's a lot of talented quarterbacks, but when Newman hit on all cylinders at Wake Forest, it was like, Oh, <laughs> when you're watching the highlights, like he did. Whoa. Okay. That's a pro quarterback, right? He's a big, tall guy. Uh, got decent speed, uh, really tremendous balance in the pocket and a huge arm. Um, that was pretty accurate, not just one of those scattershot down the field howitzer type things, but he can unleash it. So the bottom line is it's kind of like those single player classes at the top. If you hit on Jamie Newman in any capacity, if he sticks on your roster and your quarterback coaches can can coax some consistency out of him with those gifts, you win. 
Like you yeah. win. If you get a functional quarterback out of UDFA, and I mean functional at any level, three, two, or one, eventually. Um, we talk about one being kind of the rarest of all gems, but if that guy's a you know backup clipboard holder in in Philly for four or five years and comes in and plays some meaningful football and you got him for nothing as a quarterback when people are drafting, you know, Kyle Trask <laughs> up high and you got Jamie Newman for free. Uh, you win. Uh, Trayvon Grimes, we talked about. There are not many guys with his build, period. Uh, there are a lot of guys that are tall, uh, and there are a lot of guys that are pretty big that play wide receiver. There are not very many guys that are as tall and as big. He's like 6'4", 225, legit, um, and can play, <laughs> right? He is yeah, not can run just, routes. <laughs> not just a height, weight, speed guy, right? He's that big. He's that tall. He's that strong and he's a good receiver on top of it. When you get all three of those things, I'm with you. It's either medical or off field, something we didn't know about, something we don't see in the process. Because, you know, when you get down to the fifth, to the sixth, to the seventh, you can't tell me that some of the guys that got drafted at wide receiver are have better outlooks in the league than Trayvon Grimes. Like they don't, they just don't. Uh, no. And the Philadelphia wide receiving core is kind of like the Lions wide receiving core. They had a few more guys. Now, look, they went out and traded up, got Devonta Smith. Amazing. Like they needed the target. They got Jalen Rager last year. We both like him. We both like his outlook a little bit better this year. Still, Trayvon Grimes for free, that size, that ability. And he's got opportunity after that. The, the wide receiver depth chart drops off pretty quickly for Philly. It's a you know, just those two guys alone make it our fourth overall ranked class. Yeah. Uh, the Lions, as you mentioned before, were our third overall ranked class just ahead of the Eagles. I, I let off with them just because we already talked about the Lions. But our second overall class ahead of the Eagles and ahead of the Lions. I mean, I, I'll tell you what, the Jets are, are building themselves something special there. Um, we, we can debate the quarterback pill, quarterback pick at the at number two till the cows come home in terms of who we would have taken or, or whatever but the guys that they drafted and the guys that they got after the draft were both just phenomenal groups and you know udfa is probably worth highlighting for them because they got a bunch but kenny aboa who was one of our favorite tight ends out of Ole Miss, he was a transfer i think from temple if i remember correctly uh hamilcar rashid uh the edge at oregon state who you were super high on uh definitely thought he was going to get drafted he did not tristan hodge the other byu tackle uh and then uh, parker ferguson the tackle from air force who i did not get to watch i meant to watch all the air force guys because they had a quarterback that was getting some buzz as well i didn't get around to him uh and then isaiah dunn uh the corner from oregon state overall uh, at, at minimum if only yaboa and rashid work out which I think are probably the two highest chances home run class. Absolutely home run class. Yeah. I was so pissed about this. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no other way to put it. Like uh, both players that I thought were draftable talents for sure with Yaboa and Rashid um, Yaboa, just because of his versatility and his downfield receiving prowess. Um, they used him all over the place at old miss and, you know, looking again, he got a chance to look over the jets tight end depth chart and was like, you got one guy like you got five guys on the roster, but you got one guy like I'm better than the other four guys. I can come in and give Zach Wilson. I can be Zach Wilson's new best friend in the middle of the field. And he's got enough versatility on that offense. Look, the offense has San Francisco roots. <laughs> hmm. 
there's a guy in San Francisco does a couple of things, right? They use him in different roles. In fact, there's a tight end and a fullback that they use creatively. That's how old Miss used Kenny Yeboa. They lined him mm-hmm. up in the backfield as an H back. They used him in line. They used him in the slot. They motioned him out wide. They used him all over the place. And he, I don't want to say he excelled at all those roles, but he did all of them pretty well. And he's a very athletic, fluid receiver. Zach Wilson in that offense is going to love Kenny and Boa. I'm going to be really surprised if he doesn't make at least the practice squad. And I would be honestly somewhat shocked if he didn't make the active roster. Rashid, on the other hand, you give Robert Sala a guy like Rashid, he's kind of the same profile on defense. You can put him on the edge. You can put his hand down. You can put his hand up and put him out wide in a wide nine. You can put him in a in a Sam backer role. He drops in coverage really well. He's got great length. Like Sala's going to have fun with that guy. And, I, you know, he'll start off playing special teams for sure. But I would be really surprised if he doesn't earn a role as well. And just on those two guys, that's a good class. You add that to their draft class. You talked about pitches, sales pitches. Like, solid, solid dropped a pretty good sales pitch on those guys. Like, whatever you've seen about the Jets, yeah, we're not about that. We're doing a new thing, and both you guys have roles. And then they went out and got offensive line depth. Like, they've got a decent offensive line building in New York as well. And uh, Hogue and Ferguson, both guys that Brandon really likes. Um, We talked to Brandon in the pre-draft process, and he was like, again, I don't think these guys are necessarily starters, but these are guys that are tough. They're smart. They can earn a role. They're going to hang around. And look, the Jets need guys like that. They have to build the roster with like that. And then Dunn, maybe it's just their, uh, obviously their area scout at Oregon State (laughs) was pretty familiar, had a good relationship with these guys. A lot of times that's what it comes down to. And they get another, you know, talented corner that they can work with. Uh, If he works out, great. Uh, If not, it was a, you know, it was a poker chip. It was a lottery ticket. You, You tried it in UDFA and it either worked or it didn't. Haj, uh, which I actually looked it up uh, a couple weeks before the draft because I was I, I thought it was Hogue as well. It's I guess he pronounces it Hodge. Fun fact: he was the uh, he was the number one center prospect in the country. Went to Notre Dame and then transferred uh, to BYU. He's built like a tackle, which is why I think he might compete with because like if I was gonna pick one guy for him to compete with, like obviously Vera Tucker is going to be left guard. Uh, if I was going to keep one guy for him to compete with, it's going to be fans at right tackle. He played guard at Notre Dame, but when you look at his tape, he's got better movement skills than most guards. And that was while playing in a season where he got COVID. So I'm like, I might want him at tackle first. And if he doesn't survive there, fine, make him a swing guard. I want to give him a shot at tackle because he's six, five, three, 10. Yep. With long arms like that's tackle. tackle yeah. Tackle build all the way. People were projecting at guard. I'm like, just give him a chance. Give him a chance at tackle. If he can't do it, fine. Move him back inside because he has experience as a guard. I think he's going to at least try to push Fant for tackle. Um, and again, remember the, the 2020 tape, which I don't even think he played every game. He did. He got COVID. <laughs> so just take that with a grain of salt. Like, Missed some time, hit, hit him pretty hard. Like same thing happened to Rashad Bateman, where he was down to like 190 pounds. And was like, why did he lose so much weight? Well, he got COVID and then opted out and then opted back in. Like it, it's a COVID's a thing. It it really messes you up <laughs> if it if it hits you bad. It really hits you bad. So sure. uh, he's he's a guy where it's like tackle guard, whatever you want to call him. I want to give him a shot at tackle. 
And you know what? He probably chose the Jets because of Zach Wilson. He started a lot of games. Um, he had a lot of experience. He and Wilson are buddies. Wouldn't be surprised if he chose the Jets because that's where Zach went. And he's like, I I know what that dude is. I want to play with that dude because we're going to win a lot of games. So I, I love that pickup for the Jets. Uh, you know, you talked about Yaboa and, and and then Rashid, you know, again, they they picked up um uh Carl Lawson from mm-hmm. from Cincy, who I think is gonna be a, just a monster for them since he's gonna be actually getting a ton of snaps for once. You know, he's not just gonna be a rotational guy. Like I the fact that Carl like Carl Lawson's efficiency as a pass rusher uh was absolutely insane. I, I'm excited to see him go to a place that's actually gonna give him more snaps and not limit him to like you know, 40 a game. Like, like let's, let's see what he can do with like 60 snaps a game. Cause I think he could, he could put up some monster numbers. And then you got Rashid where whenever you do want to snap or swap Lawson out, you got Rashid coming in. Yeah. I just, I love what the jets are building. We're, we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to their draft class and the free agency moves and all that kind of stuff. But man, just the UDFAs alone were, were just insane. Uh, only, only beaten by one team in our opinion. And that's the Seattle Seahawks who had the number one UDFA class for us mainly for what they did at receiver, which is Kay Johnson from South Dakota State, who is a favorite of ours, absolutely lit up the Senior Bowl. To Marion Terry, who I compared endlessly to DK Metcalf physically, and then now he's going to play with DK Metcalf. Uh, and then Connor Weddington, local kid to you up uh, in the Pacific Northwest uh, out of Stanford, another guy with legit speed. Uh, you know, Russell made some noise in the off season about how he wasn't happy with the protection and how he wanted a little bit more weapons. I'll tell you what, you look at the offensive line for the Seahawks now compared to what it was a few months ago. And you look at their wide receiver room compared to what it was a few months ago. No more reasons to complain, Russ. You got, you got everything you wanted and more. No, and the Seahawks, look, there's different ways to win a UDFA class. And the Seahawks had three draft picks, famously three draft picks this year. And, uh, that's just not a lot of talent. You need to reload uh, on a typical basis, whether it's top of your roster or the bottom. That's what draft picks are for, especially at the bottom for cost-controlled labor. They only had three draft picks. So you look at their three draft picks, they did pretty well with them. Like they picked players that we like and it fits pretty good. Like we thought, yeah, for, for what they had, they did fine. And then they, <laughs> they open up the UDFA class and they get our top two remaining receivers who we both thought would be drafted. I saw Cade Johnson as high as like 119 on a bunch of boards. And mm-hmm. after his senior bowl performance, I went back and looked at him again. And I was like, damn, I don't care if he played at South Dakota State. Like this guy is legit fast. He has special teams value. Took a couple of kicks back in college. He's a good route runner. He burned everybody at the senior bowl and he did it on tape too. This wasn't like, Oh, I had a big weekend at the senior bowl. You should draft me. This is you go back and he's just crushing people. No idea why that guy wasn't drafted. Don't tell me strength of competition. Uh, uh-uh. he went to the senior bowl and played fast and sharp and showed great hands against the best corners in the nation. Like, and has special teams versatility, like there's no way he doesn't get drafted. He didn't get drafted. He goes to the Hawks, who already drafted Dwayne Eskridge, who is another speedy receiver with special teams value. Is this a theme? We talked about Torian Terry. I said, like, hey, great. He's the next Cordell Patterson, right? He's a mean-ass gunner on special teams, and he'll run nine balls all day on you. If you let him go and he's going to jump over the top of you, he might basket catch him, but he's going to jump over the top of you and go, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards longer if he can't catch him. 
So you got speedy receivers with special teams values, three of them, not including Weddington. And then you just tack on another senior bowl standout theme here. Yeah. Theme yeah, for sure. So great job, Jim Nagy. Uh, Brian Mills from North Carolina Central, who is kind of, it wasn't on our ball of clay listed corner, but he absolutely could have been. Um, big corner, uh, a guy I talked about when I went on field goals as being a potential target for the Seahawks with their prototype of of what they like in corner. Now, does he have to season and develop? Yes, his intuition could use a little bit of work, his read skills, but physically, definitely a guy that they've had success with in the past. Um, and then Greg Island, who our buddy uh, previously of Arrowhead Pride, now of Kansas City Sports Network, Greg Stout, loved like he was one of the first guys or before the senior bowl we were talking to, and craig just reached out he's like who do you like who who are a couple of you guys who do you like and i was like i like this guy i was like who do you like and like the second name off his lips he's like greg island i like greg island he's down there he's guard he's not going to make anybody's list i love him i think he'd be a great fit in kansas city blah blah, blah. like now he's backing up the Seahawks offensive line. And if you watch his tape, I watch his tape because when Craig tells me to go watch somebody's tape, I watch your tape and Greg Island's tape. Like he is a mauler. He is an absolute mauler. He fits in that sort of Damian Lewis. Like he's going to be inside Dave Jackson. Yeah. Big power Seahawks run game. Like Greg Island fits that to a T. And again, value you didn't pay anything for him he's probably going to be a swing backup guard for you if not he's going to be on your practice squad as a name that nobody knows until somebody turns their ankle and then he comes in and mauls people and you're like oh maybe we should sign him to that second contract for like you know three or four million a year because he was making like four hundred thousand for the past two years so that's going to seem like you know made it money but that wide receiver core you add Eskridge right he's probably the starting third wide receiver i i He'll be there's their slot because yeah, I, I mean Lockett played outside or inside. I would want right. Eskridge so in the slot. You know, you got Metcalf, you got Lockett, and you got Eskridge. That's your top three. I don't care where they play, right? You can rotate Metcalf <laughs> to slot and so good. Right. Oh. And then you go and get Cade Johnson, who I think legit could be four this year, because Moore's gone. And Tamori and Terry, that if he makes the roster, again, your fifth and sixth wide receivers need to play special teams. Tamori and Terry plays special teams super well and yeah. he just happens to be well over six feet and run like a deer like he runs so crazy fast he was a guy with a 22 23 mile an hour gps score did he did he hit 24 no it wasn't him was it, it no caleb farley hit 24 but right. tamari and terry's top gps speed was higher than any speed tyreek hill has ever hit in his nfl career yeah, That's the this, kind of speed we're talking. This is about. a guy that when he opens it up downfield, if you're not on him, the old you know, if you're not even or if you're even, he's leaving. Like that's Tamori and Terry on a nine route. So you got all these guys that they don't have to be starting wide receivers. They all play special teams. <laughs> you could have four, five, six on your on your wide receiver depth chart all playing special teams. And oh yeah, by the way, who throws a really nice rainbow deep? Oh yeah, that Russell Wilson yeah. cat. He throws a really by the way, good watch, deep. Watch. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this game, but the game that soured me a little bit on C.J. Henderson in 2019 was going against Tamarian Terry because Tamarian Terry ripped C.J. Henderson a new asshole over and over and over again. That was a first round corner, and Terry was just like, "Nah, you ain't shit." <laughs> like, yeah, he's and a UDFA. 
And that's the thing. It, it had to be, he had a knee issue for sure. I heard there was some off field stuff too. I didn't hear what, and you know, but you have a draft class of three guys that we thought was pretty solid. Like you did well with your three choices. They get four guys out of UDFA that could probably will make the active roster this year. So you basically double the size of your draft class for free. That is a, that's how you win UDFA. You end up and you go, well, we wanted to address receiver, but we just got the one guy. He's a good guy. Oh yeah. We got three other guys that both play special teams and, and are really good wide receivers. Um, Yeah. They're probably gonna make the roster too. And we didn't pay anything for them. That's how you build a team. That's how you win UDFA. So Seattle is our top class for the year. Um, Just an amazing job by John Schneider. Again, just kind of, comes through the back door when he's only got three choices and goes, Oh, so the overall class, you know, grade that. And I'm, I'm you telling really you, man, he's after the first round, he's like, whatever. I, you know, I haven't hit a, on very many first round picks. Just give me Jamal Adams for those. I'll figure out everything else. And it's like, Oh, still Forsyth is there in the sixth round. Don't mind if I do. Let me, let me just go get a, a potential starting tackle in the sixth round. Don't mind me. Yeah. And did yes, I tell you that? We, did I tell you who really likes stone Forsyth? Besides me? Yeah. Who? Who the, who'd the Seahawks send to go check out Stone Forsyth in person and talk to him one on one? Oh, you know, you told, I think it was Steve Hutchinson, right? <laughs> who, they, who they had who they had work yep. out Forsyth. So Pete Carroll Hutchinson. said to Steve Hutchinson, "Hey, there's this guy. He's down in Florida. He pass protects pretty well, but uh, you know, he needs some other things. And I want you to go down and tell me whether or not like you think you can work with him or whether it's really sort of a lost cause." And they sent Hutchinson down to Florida. He came back. He's like. I can work with that. <laughs> Pete and John were like, all right, we'll look at picking him. So Hall of Famer, future I mean, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Hall of Famer says, yo, uh, yeah, I got that. And you get to hang out behind Dwayne Brown. And you got Steve Hutchinson as your sort of O-line, you know, consultant. And if if Stone Forsythe doesn't make it, it's because Stone Forsythe's not that good. Because he's got a great role <laughs> model in front of him. And he's got like an amazing mentor and Steve Hutchinson who believes in him and says, yeah, I can, this guy's got it. Um, that that's good enough for me. I would have drafted him too. Uh, our final segment of the day is UDFA's worth drafting in best ball format for our new title sponsor, underdog fantasy. They're sponsoring us all summer long. And we want to, we wanted to bring up best ball in particular for which guys you should draft for best ball, because if there's one format for fantasy football, where taking a flyer on a UDFA might work out, it is best ball because sure. how it works is it really kind of puts effective drafting to the forefront, you know, because it doesn't matter about, Oh, you know, should I start, uh, you know, Zeke or Dalvin this week? It doesn't matter. You don't have to start anybody. It's just whoever, you know, your top, two running backs, whoever your top three receivers points are on your entire roster for the week. Those are the points you get. So you don't have to worry about, you know, taking a first quarter hamstring injury and having your entire week ruined because of that. It's just whoever does the best. Those are the players you get the points for. So in a best ball format, if you're taking a flyer on a UDFA, like uh, say Kay Johnson or Tamari and Terry, and they go off for a week because Russell just is feeling it. You get those points. You don't have to try to guess what are the two weeks out of the year that a, a, an undrafted wide receiver pops off. You just get those points. Uh, so we did want to thank Underdog for, for sponsoring us all summer long because they believe in the show. They believe in us. More importantly, they believe in you guys. Remember, if you want 
uh, access to their three and a half million dollar best ball tournament tournament that they're putting on. You can go to the link at the description below. Use promo code Brett. That'll give you twenty five dollars to use on the platform, which conveniently is the entry cost for this tournament. It's a million dollars to first place. You can basically get in for free just by using promo code Brett. Uh, and if you draft well, and if you have a good team, you walk home with a million, please send me a bottle of something as a thank you. I would appreciate that very much. Just saying. Or me, uh, thank because you again to, I'm not EJ. on the bottle list. <laughs> uh, we got to get you on the bottle list. Uh, you got to get I'll, me on the bottle list. I'll, I'll send you, a, I'll, I'll Instacart you a bottle of Woodenville since it's near you, because this can, stuff is phenomenal. I could walk to the Woodenville district. Anyways. <laughs> Not gonna look a gift horse in the mouth. No. Uh, so why don't we talk about uh, Beth? U- best UDFA, excuse me, worth drafting an underdog this year because there are several that we identified. Uh, first, starting with those Seattle pairings of Kay Johnson and Tamarian Terry, you guys are really gonna have to pay attention to this camp battle because they're both gonna be fighting for wide receiver five, maybe wide receiver four. Like Freddie Swain is somebody that Russell likes, and Russell clearly has sway in the organization, so. One of them might end up going to the practice squad. We'll see, but pay attention to that camp battle and whoever makes it draft them. Just use your last pick on them because you got an elite quarterback with an upgraded offensive line and two extremely talented receivers. You know, if somebody goes down, if one of those top three receivers goes down, they're going to get significant snaps. And I think they're, they're going to produce early and often. Neither one of these guys, in my opinion, is somebody that you need to wait a couple of years to put on the field. Like they are ready to go. They just happen to be in a loaded wide receiver room. Yeah, and you might score points from either one of these guys on special teams as well. They mm-hmm. both have return skills. K. Johnson returned a couple of kicks for touchdowns at San Diego State. So even if he is wide receiver five and he's playing on the gunner team, like I bet they put him in the returner competition. I would be really surprised. And again, if Dwayne Eskridge is your third wide receiver, that's basically a starter in this league. And you don't necessarily want that guy back returning kicks if he's your solid number three. Whereas K. Johnson, sure, throw him to the Lions. And if he busts one and picks up, you know, a few yards here and there. Like that's, that's worth it in a best ball format. Again, don't, don't draft these guys a pie and say, Brett and EJ told me no, no. <laughs> last pick kind of like, Hey, I don't really know who I'm going to go get, figure out who wins the camp battle and go get them because not only might they put up a couple yards in offense that you're going to get credit for, but they can also throw up some special teams points. I would say the same thing for uh, Sage Surratt and John Adams Jr. in Detroit. Uh, Pay attention to that camp battle. Whoever wins it, go get that dude in the last round. Um, Because when you look at the depth chart, it's a lot less intimidating than than Seattle's. They only got to get by, you know, Brashad Perriman, Tyrell Williams. You know, Amon Ra is going to be in the slot, but they're not competing for Amon Ra's job. Uh, Quintez Cephas, like... And to be honest, Adams and Surratt fill a different role than most of those guys. I think that they could they could immediately contribute as a red zone target just because they're so good at jump balls. If anything, in a best ball format where it's like, hey, if somebody pops off for a couple touchdowns, I'm going to get those 20 points from somebody you never expect. Like these are the kind of players that do well in best ball because they score. Like that's the number one thing you want to find is dudes that can score and they both are so good in jump ball scenarios down inside the low red zone that, again, it might only happen a couple weeks out of the season, but for a last-round pick, if you're getting a dude that might push you over the top for a couple weeks, that's worth something. And again, they're going to see the field. Think about what Jared Goff did in Los Angeles 
before he went to Detroit. He had, again, three or four wide receivers. He spread it around. He was not one of those guys that put it on one guy 85, 90% of the time and, and everybody else was getting scraps. I mean, Woods had his great games, but there were those games where he spread it around to the other four wide receivers. He'll spread it around to the tight end. So you're going to pick up likely some points just because there's not enough guys to run a full wide receiver set without one of these two dudes. Um, you know, they've got literally two guys who are going to see the field, you know, They've got, well, three, Terrell Williams, Cephas, and St. Brown. But there's a lot of four wide receiver sets in just about every offense. And one of these two guys is probably going to be wide receiver four based on how the camp battle goes. And, you know, Goff is a guy that can find them. So, again, are they going to produce a basket full of points? No, we're talking about guys that were picked after the seventh round, right? But are they going to produce something? I put pretty good money on Whoever wins that camp battle is going to score at least once or twice during the year. If not more than that, because I mean, God, yeah, I mean, if somebody goes look, down, those guys are wide receiver three, you know? Yeah. So and, if, and look at that it, depth chart. It's not very good to begin with. No, anybody gets dinged. Like you're talking about one of these guys being wide receiver three um, yeah. on a team. That's going to be throwing a lot late. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Game script is not in their favor. Ugh, that's for damn sure. Uh, and then last one, we touched on him, or last two, we touched on both of them. Uh, this one is not necessarily a camp battle type thing. It's more so just make sure you get them in, <laughs> in almost all formats. That's Trayvon Grimes for the Eagles, just because he's so damn good. And again, there's a reason that we don't know about yet that he dropped, but he's he's too good to not have on your roster, uh, particularly if you're in like uh, a, a very deep league like just stash him. It's it's the same kind of mindset that I had with Chase Claypool last year when I was like, just spend a last round pick. Who cares? It's He's bigger and faster than 99% of corners out there. Just go get him. Trayvon Grimes is that kind of guy. Uh, and then Javion Hawkins uh, for the Falcons. When you look at their backfield, it's a little bit more of an uphill climb than I think Grimes has to crack the starting lineup in, in Philly. But running back is not necessarily uh, the most durable position. And if there's one spot where a dude can come out of absolutely nowhere, it's the Falcons backfield because they don't have any particularly dominant running backs ahead of him, even if they are numerous. So whether he wins it through camp battle or whether he wins it through injury, there's a decent shot that he'll get significant snaps this year just from that situation alone. Yeah, he's probably the the farthest outlier on this list. He has the sort of toughest climb to to making any sort of production this year. But he's a guy that again, you watch his runs at Louisville and he like he didn't make it, didn't make it, did holy cow, that's what you're paying for. Like those are the carries where he just, you know, reverses field twice and then he's just gone 70 yards. Nobody touches him, and you're like, oh, okay. And it's the kind of thing that I saw out of Tariq Cohen in college, and I thought. I won't translate. <laughs> he goes to the and Bears. He did the exact same thing in his freshman season, right? He runs around, runs by a couple of guys, a little crack happens and boom, he's gone. And I'm like, well, look at that. It does translate to the NFL. So <laughs> if Hawkins gets his hands on the ball, he's going to make some things happen. It's whether or not he can sort of get his hands on the ball in what is a deep and talented offense. Yeah, I mean, he's got Mike Davis, who's presumably going to be their starter. Quadre Olison, who's somebody who you really like coming out a couple of years ago. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. And then Tony Brooks-James. Honestly, I think he can beat out Tony Brooks-James, like realistically speaking. But 
those are our UDFAs uh, that uh, that are worth drafting in best ball format specifically. I would not advocate for most of these guys to get drafted in most other formats, but best ball is set up in a certain way where you can actually get something out of these dudes. Um, I, I think overall, when you look at this UDFA hall, considering how much smaller uh, this entire draft class was, I was actually concerned that there wasn't going to be many good UDFAs because this mm-hmm. draft class was about 35 to 40% the size of your average draft class. So I thought, eh, it's going to be kind of slim pickings. Like once we get in the seventh round, like that's going to be it. Overall, I think there was more good UDFAs than I expected. Yeah, I mean, you're still talking about, like you said, it's a much smaller class than normal is about 600 guys, but you're only talking about 250 of those guys getting drafted out of the other, you know, 350 to 400, like a lot of good players. And you just see it. We talked about guys from historically back colleges, right, that don't have the same exposure. We talked about guys that played at smaller schools. Uh, some of them did get drafted. Some of them didn't. We talked about guys whose injury histories were tougher to get to this year or tougher to get confirmation that they'd cleared because of COVID and no combine rechecks and, and all that good stuff. And, you know, there were just more reasons. And I think some guys that typically wouldn't have slipped would have been sort of gotten the green light at a combine recheck and everybody would have, you know, or most everybody would have taken the medical flag off their board, stuff like that. People just were a little bit more hesitant and it caused a bunch of those drops that we talked about on our day three live stream. Like, why is this guy still on the board that, you know, should be there. This is ridiculous. Um, you know, his tape is too good for this. And we saw a lot of that. Um, and I think maybe more than the average year. And we just talked about that volatility all through the draft and that, ended up meaning that there was a lot of good players who can contribute to teams in the UDFA process. What do you say we get out of here? Uh, but before we do, I need to stand one more time for Woodenville because <laughs> they make this great was just, stuff. This was suggested to me at the liquor store this, this week. Uh, I went well, yesterday, actually I went in for my birthday cause my wife was like, Hey, pick out four bottles. And happy uh, birthday, know, by the way. I'm thank you, am, by the way. I am remiss as a co-host for not honoring your birthday. Happy birthday. I, I have the big three O, and you know, it's my second pandemic birthday in a row. So we went to the liquor store to uh, celebrate properly. Um, but yeah, this was this I had never looked at Woodenville at all. This was recommended to me by uh the wonderful clerk there who's like, Hey, if you like port cast finish, because I saw you pick out the Angels Envy, you're gonna love this shit. Uh, and he was right because oh my god. It's fantastic. So shout out to Woodenville. You guys make phenomenal stuff. Yeah, I enjoy their I enjoy their offerings a lot. The Freem went down very easily. I will definitely buy more of their offerings. Uh, weird name, good beer. Um, Hood River is a fantastic place to visit if you ever get the chance. Uh, not the only brewery at all in Hood River. There's uh, three there. Uh, for a very small town, they got a they got a great ratio going. Um, but. No. Uh, what do you got coming out? I know you're working on, uh, you said you're Matt Nagy and Justin Fields piece. What else you got going on? Uh, so I'm also working on a collaboration with coach Vass where he's oh. teaching me, and this is going to be especially exciting for bears slash chargers slash Rams fans. He's <laughs> teaching me the intricacies of the Vic Fangio defense, or at least as many as, as he can, cause it's a complicated defense. Um, and so we're going to turn that into, you know, a video or potentially a series where we kind of go through the core concepts of what Vic Fangio teaches coverage wise, front wise, 
Uh, he's already put out some Fangio stuff on his own channel that I found absolutely fascinating. And I was like, hey, uh, can we do something similar to that for my channel? Because this is amazing stuff. This is like a masterpiece. And I really want you to teach me some of this. And he said, absolutely, let's do it. So that'll be coming out later this summer. First things first is my deep dive into the New Hampshire Mafia. And I, that is a real thing. <laughs> it is a, uh, I guess you can call it a coaching tree, right. sort of an amalgamation of all these coaches like Chip Kelly, Ryan Day, that have ties to New Hampshire. Uh, Ryan Day famously played under Chip Kelly, coached under Chip Kelly at multiple places, um, and then went to Ohio State after being with the Niners and was the offensive coordinator under Urban Meyer, who indirectly chip Kelly was kind of stealing some spread stuff from Bill Snyder at the same time that urban Meyer was stealing spread stuff from Bill Snyder when he was a bowling green back in the day. It's, it's this whole kind of historical video on how Bill Snyder basically changed football forever and how urban Meyer took some stuff and chip Kelly took some stuff after taking it from Northwestern. It's, it's an, it's an amazing thing. It basically just kind of builds up to what is the bears offense going to look like with West Coast concepts and spread concepts and air raid concepts and stuff that Greg Roman runs in Baltimore, which fun fact, he stole from Urban Meyer and Dan Mel Dan Mullen when they came up with it in Florida. And it's it's all this kind of stuff coming together into one crazy offense, because in the end, Justin Fields is the first quarterback in that offense that we've seen that is a great runner and a great passer at the same time. It's never happened. Like Alex Smith is the closest thing, but he's not as physically talented as Justin Fields. And it's like this super weapon that was crafted after two decades of evolution. And I'm so psyched for it because we've I was going to say, are you this. excited? <laughs> I'm excited. Like I was, I was, I fell down a rabbit hole, you know, as soon as I saw the words, New Hampshire mafia, I was like, well, fuck, that's a video. <laughs> like yeah, right there. No, it's, that's it's the great. title right there. I'm envisioning you with a cork board and like a huge box of push pins and yarn. <laughs> it's 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 amazing like i've done a similar thing when looking at like the air raid tree and mm -hmm. this whole thing blew, like the connections you know where you're looking at like how the, bill snyder just came up with new shit because he had michael bishop who was being recruited as a defensive mm -hmm. back by basically everybody except bill snyder was like you know what i'm tired of not being able to run the ball i want a dude that can run and he was the only one that offered michael bishop as a quarterback and all of a sudden Kansas State, who at the time was the losingest college football program in history, started rattling off 11 win seasons. It was number one in the country behind Michael Bishop. And then, you know, Urban Meyer at Bowling Green saw what he was doing and was like, I love that. I'm going to steal that. And Northwestern was like, I'm going to steal that, too. And then Chip Kelly went to Northwestern and was like, I'm going to steal your shit that you stole from Bill Snyder. <laughs> oh, it's 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 amazing. It's going to be a great. Episode. Did you see the? This is so random. Did you see the Bishop uh, clip that I posted on Twitter earlier? No, I week? didn't. No. That's so freaking random because I hadn't even thought about Michael Bishop in probably 10 years. Like I, he's, he's a, he's an afterthought. He's a footnote in college football history and it, he deserves to be a lot higher than he is in terms of what he did and the predecessor that he was as a player in that system and how he really changed the game. So Chris Brown on Twitter posted uh, a Bishop clip and it was several throws. It was four or five throws. And I, it just, it's like when you taste something from your childhood and you're like, oh, these were the best, right? I had not thought about Bishop at all. And I definitely hadn't looked at his film in long enough that I was like, 
oh my god i remember that and now that i know everything else that i know about football after another you know decade of hard study it still looks jaw-dropping like it's still he makes throws like he was a really gifted athlete if you don't know who michael bishop is go look up some of his highlights they're staggering like he was a very talented athlete and you know snyder understood that and went okay (laughs) i'm gonna let him like i'm gonna turn him loose and nobody's gonna be ready for it and guess what they weren't so it's it's just so odd that i hadn't thought about bishop in probably a decade and now you're like got a whole project sort of that was the genesis was around that sort of bishop offense and i was like oh yeah i just posted a clip of michael bishop this week. that's so much fun yeah, football i can't wait. it's gonna be fun day. i'm and basically taking got... all of may to work on it by the Ooh. way it's not coming out till june because it's gonna take a long time to do naturally so and i might come down and distract you i haven't told you that yet but oh are you well maybe uh, because I will be, uh, my expiration date on being fully vaxxed is like end of May. And so, oh, nice. I might just I get, like, I get my next shot on the 13th. So I fully expect uh, to I be will, unconscious on the 14th. I, I will, I will fear you less. No, that's not true. I will fear <laughs> you more, uh, mostly because of your liquor cabinet, but no, I might hop on a plane in like, I don't know, June and come, come just rattle your doorstep and we could post all kinds of fun Instagram stories. That'd be a good time. But uh, in the meantime, we got a bunch of content to make because we're going to be rattling off podcast every week uh, with the support of underdog fantasy. And we're going to dip pretty quickly into our divisional previews. We're going to go over our favorite draft classes first to kind of sum up this whole draft before we dive in. And then as Brett said, we're going to go in and talk about, um, we do it divisionally. So it's going to be four teams per episode, which is always fun. And we're really going to look at everything they did in terms of their draft class, their UDFAs, who they brought in as free agents. And then if they had coaching changes as well, uh, if they're significant, we'll just sort of roll that in. And it's a great way. It was a great Justin Fields is to sort of, well, we kind of did it on a whim last year, but it was a great way for us to sort of set the floor for the entire season to look at every roster top to bottom throughout the league, how it compared to the rest of the teams in their division. Cause that's really the road to the playoffs. Um, and then make some predictions about who we thought was going to excel, who we thought might struggle. Uh, and then we can go back and look at those and say, you know, we were right or we were wrong. But we're super excited to do it again this year. It's kind of going to be even bigger and better. And that's where we really started sort of cracking the two-hour mark with our podcast because <laughs> there's a lot of information and then fans got used to it. And, and that's what we do now. Um, but we'll be diving back into that series after we do our sort of favorite drafts. Uh, uh, I just drafted up that agenda today, so we'll be ripping that off pretty quickly. And then it's straight in the divisional previews. That's eight weeks worth of content, and uh, we'll have some fun stuff after that. But should keep you, Ethan's, entertained for uh, most of the low and off season. Yeah, so we got a lot coming your way. Keep it tuned into bootleg football. 12.7K subscribers now, which is mind-blowing. We, we picked up like 2,000 people just from draft weekend alone. Again, uh, couldn't be more grateful. You guys are amazing. Just Keep it locked in with us. We've, we've got plenty more shows to come all the way through the summer. Thank you to Underdog Fantasy for helping to make that possible. And we will be back, uh, I think, in a few days with our favorite draft classes. So we'll see you guys then. Until then, later. Adios. Adios.